You're listening to Fox on the Wire. friends and welcome to episode number 64 of fox on the wire that has to be one of the best openings to an album in the history of albums and one of the best screams i've ever heard it's such a killer opening to an album those cowbell hits and then it goes into sebastian bach's scream absolutely one of the best screams of all time i've seen it live not with skid row unfortunately but uh sebastian bach solo with his band over the years i've seen him a couple of times and that song always goes off that scream always goes off if you haven't heard that track before well i'm glad you're here it's from a band called skid row the song is monkey business and the album is slave to the grind and we are here today to celebrate that album as it's just turned 30 years old it was released on june 11th 1991 Slave to the Grind was Skid Row's second album, which was much heavier than their debut album a couple of years earlier, which featured tracks like I Remember You, 18 and Life, and Youth Gone Wild. The band wrote most of Slave to the Grind in a New Jersey studio, and then they demoed the tracks with co-producer Michael Wagner, who also produced the band's first album. We wrote the record in my basement in New Jersey, and also our drummer Rob Afuso's house. That's where we wrote the album. Skid Row had huge success with their debut album, and they would follow up on that success when Slave to the Grind debuted at number one on the Billboard charts, making it the first metal album to top the charts in the sound scan era. Slave to the Grind, our second record, was the first metal album ever to debut at number one since Michael Jackson's Bad, which had happened in 87. So it was it was a big album. And it was the first ever week of SoundScan, which where they changed the process of rating how the chart works to a pure, purely sales-based business model, which meant every record was scanned across the counter. And we debuted at number one on that week. Only one week, though. The next week, NWA came in at number one. and uh, But we that was a great week. <laughs> Turn on the TV, cause I got nowhere to go. So for me, Slave to the Grind has always been one of my favourite albums. I remember the time when I first got into it, I was discovering Guns N' Roses, Motley Crue, Skid Row, all at the same time, all those sort of bands. And uh, Slave to the Grind was my first Skid Row album, and I believe Wasted Time was my first Skid Row song, which is the last track 
on Slave to the Grind. I was obsessed with this album for a long time and still am. I was hooked on the lyrics, the songwriting, the production, the energy, the vocals, the whole thing. And it was at a time when I was really starting to develop my own guitar playing and and getting into songwriting. And this album in particular was one of those albums that really energized my enthusiasm to, to play guitar and listen to loud music. A good friend of mine at the time gave me a, a mix CD and it had like Motley Crue, Skid Row, Scorpions, uh, Poison, all these awesome bands that I was sort of just hearing for the first time and it blew me away. The Wasted Time was actually the Skid Row track off that mix CD. It was the little things that got me like right at the end of the song where I don't know if it's Snake or Scotty Hill they do that volume swell right at the end of the song but they swell it up instead of swelling down or swelling off what the hell am I talking about? well, check this out I never thought you'd let it get this Very simple but effective and it's just one of those little things in songs that get you. Here's Sebastian Bach talking about the recording of Monkey Business. I also remember Lars Ulrich being in the studio with me when I cut that vocal. And I was literally looking at him going, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you some shit right now, buddy. And I remember doing that. <laughs> he was like, I go, how is it? He goes, it's, it's roaring. What? It's roaring! (laughs) I don't feel like doing my Lars impression. The songwriting partnership of Rachel Bolan and Dave the Snake Sabo really blew me away. I'd sit there with the CD booklet, reading the lyrics as I was listening to the songs, and just the whole experience of this album was, was amazing. I really came to appreciate that songwriting partnership they had. And to this day, I still put this album in my all-time top 10 favourite albums. Maybe even top five. It's really hard to get your top list of albums down to five, but I'll say top 10 for now. Definitely in the top 10. And obviously, this was a huge album for the band. It was huge in terms of sales and the tour that followed. And I'm just looking at my CD booklet now, and it's pretty much ruined. So I obviously gave this album a lot of love uh, back when I was younger and first getting into it. It's uh, pretty torn up and the CD's all scratched, so it might be time for another copy. Mud Kicker was a, uh, was a couch riff, and uh, we turned it into a song. It's very cool, cool, heavy, slow, kind of steamroller vibe going on. It's another, it's another uh, song that's, it, that's fun to do live it's because it's, it's got the opposite groove of Slave to the Grind where that's just, you know, like a straight-ahead gallop. This is more of a, you know, like a dirge or something. Uh, so it's a, it's a pretty cool song to play, and it goes like this. on to Slave to the Grind, uh, the second Skid Row record. Our first record was very successful, got very successful very quick, uh, which put us on the road for a long time. 
we were on the road. The first tour was 16 months long, and we worked really hard, and it was a lot of fun. But when we got back, we were kind of different people. We were pretty much seasoned touring musicians, and our musical tastes have changed. Uh, what we were listening to on the bus was a lot different. And you got to keep in mind, when the first record was written, it was written over a few years uh, prior to its release. So uh, you're talking maybe four years, four or five years between when we started the band and when we started recording and writing to what you hear on Slave to the Grind. So different tastes, and uh, this record was much heavier. Uh, by design, we did it. Uh, uh, that's what we wanted. We wanted the record to be heavier. It wanted to be powerful. Uh, so that's what we did, and uh, you know, I'm very proud of it. It's really, really cool piece of work, and it was a lot of fun to make. And uh, after all that time on the road, to get off the road, take a little time off, and go right into pre-production. And the record was written fairly quickly, and um, recorded in Florida. And we were from New Jersey, and we were recording in Florida in February, so that was quite awesome. And uh, it was a good time. Great record. Slave to the Grind. <laughs> song slave to the grind the title track that made the record is actually the demo that we cut the rest of the record is 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 its own record and then we try we we did cut slave to the grind like in in that session but nothing when you press play there was something magical about that demo that we couldn't capture for some reason. And when everybody went home, all the band members went home, I was still in L.A. goofing off, partying a little too much. Michael Wagner brought me to the studio. He goes, okay, this is it, man. Here's the title track. Here's Slave to the Grind, the title track. Here it is. I'm going to play it for you. This is amazing. I go, okay, man, I'm ready. And he played it for me. And then the song ended, and he goes... What do you think? I go, that's good, dude. Still not as good as a demo. He goes, I know. <laughs> so the album cover for Slave to the Grind was actually painted by Sebastian Bach's father. It's quite a long mural, and uh, it continues inside the album's booklet. And I believe Sebastian has it on a wall uh, within his house. You could probably search it on YouTube, and you can see it's quite a, quite a long mural. The painting is set in the medieval era and it depicts people using modern technology gadgets. Here's Sebastian Bach talking about it. The artwork on Slate of the Grind was done by my late father, David Burke. I have the original painting in my house. It'll look great on the wall of the Hard Rock Cafe someday. <laughs> That's where that stuff goes. <laughs> my dad was a famous Canadian painter who uh, left us in 2002. My dad loved my success, but he loved me being on Broadway more than me being on, in rock and roll. He got scared of rock and roll for, for obvious reasons. It's, it's 
not the safest vocation. Slave to the Grind produced five singles. Monkey Business, Slave to the Grind, Wasted Time, In a Darkened Room and Quicksand Jesus. Skid Row promoted the album by opening for Guns N' Roses on the 1991 North American leg of their Use Your Illusion tour. In 1992, Skid Row took Pantera and Soundgarden as supporting bands on its tour. Well, the fan reaction was great, you know. Uh, Yeah, we headlined a great tour around the world with Pantera opening up in America, Soundgarden opening up, uh, Nine Inch Nails opened up two shows for us. I don't know. They probably didn't want to, but they did. There was pressure from our label to repeat the success of the first record, but we knew what we had to do. And then we had people in the industry years later say, you guys were ahead of you. Like, you knew what you were doing back then because not a lot of bands would have got heavier on their second album. But we, we didn't, we could do what we wanted to do. We had the luxury of being able to do what we wanted. That's what we wanted to do. So in 1994, we ventured up to uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, to work with famed producer uh, Bob Rock on what would be the Subhuman Race album. And we were we were pretty burnt out, to be quite honest. We had toured on the Slave to the Grind record for 22 months. Uh, we had an amazing bunch of tours where we uh, we opened up for Guns N' Roses in the States and uh, in Europe and in uh, Australia. And then we uh, went out and headlined on our own with Pantera opening up a uh, large part of that and, and Soundgarden also opening up. And it was just, we were working really, really hard. Uh, the musical landscape was changing uh, and... Uh, a lot of the bands that were uh, in our sort of genre, if you will, were starting to feel that a little bit. And by the time we went into uh, make some human race, I think that we were, to be quite honest, where we were disjointed. Crow have reached the top of the American Billboard charts with their latest release, Slave to the Grind. According to Billboard, it's not only the first hard rock album to enter the chart at number one, it's also the first album by a band to do so. Previous artists to achieve such a feat include Michael Jackson, Whitney Houston and Bruce Springsteen. The album is being sold in two versions in the States, one with an X-rated title and an extra track, and one without. In Europe, the uncensored copy is fully available. We caught up with the band on tour in the States. It's still early yet, but fans are already warming up for the sold-out show. A lot of the cars in the parking lot are playing Skid Row's new album. One of the owners is right here. What do you think about the new album? Uh, It's really great. What do you like about it? It's much, much heavier than the first album, and it's really got a lot of kicking tunes. The new album rocks. It's heavier. What version did you buy? I bought the one with the explicit lyrics on it. buy both copies. We just want the Skid Row fans to get the Skid Row right. The song that warranted an explicit lyric sticker on the album is called Get the F*** Out. And the band says the politicians and the PMRC have their own agenda. The reason why they hate it so much is because it's a word that describes what their wives want to do to him. (laughs) 
it's a record that, that we made that can finally back up my mouth. <laughs> you know, because I sit and, you know, when it comes to see us play live and stuff, I'm sick and tired of going, oh, we're so much heavier live than the record. If we could be as heavy as our record one night, then I'd be proud. sick and tired of bands that like dress up like heavy metal bands and you kind of get sucked into buying a record or sucked into watching them and then you find out they're like the Osmonds with long hair. The first day the album was out when we did when we did play uh, people were singing monkey business so uh, we knew it was taking effect. Some dangerous monkey business happened on stage when a fan jumped up to sing with Sebastian and the security guards jumped on the fan. I thought, you know, a guy that had paid 35 bucks to get in and have a good time was getting his ass kicked. So here I come to save the day. So we all go flying into the amps and then I didn't see it, but then when I saw the film, I, I felt it right after. It just went... Years after the release of Slave to the Grind, Sebastian Bach explained... We wanted to do something a little more rugged. We saw what else was happening out there. I liked Pantera, I loved Cowboys from Hell. But Bark also said, we weren't stupid, we weren't about to turn our backs on everything that got us to where we were. The songs penned for Slave to the Grind by Skid Row's chief songwriters, bassist Rachel Bolan and guitarist Dave the Snake Sabo exuded an altogether tougher attitude than the band's 1989 debut. Here's Rachel Boland talking about Slave to the Grind on Cobras and Fire Rock podcast back in 2019. Definitely knocked it out of the park with the second record. I, to me, Slave to the Grind is almost a per- I don't even know. It's basically a perfect album. Uh, you definitely went heavier. Was that like by design or just kind of a natural next step? It, w- it was definitely a natural progression, man. It. it I think... It came out heavier because of the way we approached it. Because when we were writing the songs, we didn't hear it being heavier than the first record. It's just times kind of shifted. The, the the snare drum with you know a nine second you know decay yeah. on a, a verb you know that was gone. That those days were kind of over, and we kind of I think we kind of. Sp- Beer-headed, like a lot of bands like us, just toughening up a little bit, and and um, it was it was nothing like we sat down and and said, okay, we're going to do it this way. It's just when we got to re- recording, we were experienced, you know. We've seen we'd seen the world a couple times, and and when we wrote, we just wrote uh, from a more experienced standpoint, you know. And and um, when we got to the studio we had new amps instead of our piece of shit amps that we had our whole lives and you know we were able to buy new gear and get in there and spend some time and and um you know that's just how it kind of rolled out and um it was a lot drier effects wise than the first record and and it just uh we we stumbled onto something cool <laughs> yeah and uh, you know it's it's another one of those things where it's like wow man you know and the, we were lucky enough to debut at number one the first metal band hard rock band to, to do so and that's something that you can you know it, only one person could be number one at something and mm-hmm. we that. so that, that's kind of cool to take to the grave
saw the buzz that was going on and we saw the momentum. We knew the momentum that we had and we were like, you know, it's, it's possible we debut at number one. It is definitely, definitely possible. It, this may happen. And then uh, Snake, we were waiting for uh, – our bus was parked in New Jersey at a central location. We were all getting dropped off, and I was in the back lounge reading a newspaper, and Snake came in. He goes, hey, congratulations, because I didn't want to know anything until – I didn't want to know numbers. Yeah. I just wanted to, when it happened, it happened. And if we came in number one, we came in number one. If we didn't, more power to whoever did, you know? So Snake came in, he goes, congratulations. I go, am I pregnant? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, uh, yeah. he, he goes, we got a number one record. I was like, awesome. And then just the the uh, the other side of me, I said to him, who's uh, releasing next week? He goes, Van Halen. I go, well, it was great while it lasted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I, when I heard you guys were going to have Pantera as the opening act, I was, I, my initial reaction was like, that's, that's a fucking horrible idea. Uh, <laughs> I went to the show. I was wrong. It worked. It was something, man. I'll tell you what, the demographic switched drastically <laughs> when they opened up for us. It lot, was like... A lot more room in the ladies' room between shows? Oh, man. <laughs> the, the men's room had the long lines. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, man. Bringing those guys and just seeing what they did was the best thing we could have done for ourselves because... I don't want to say we were jaded, but we were going in that direction, you know, because you have all that experience. The first tour lasted the better part of two years, you know, and, and so it's just one of those things. And then you see these guys come out with the fire in them, man, and they are just laying it down every single night. And you're like, oh, okay, we got to be better than that, or at least as good as it. And just, and just the friends that we made you know what i mean mm-hmm. out of those guys and their crew and it was just it was just incredible man and let me say this dimebag was one of the most creative people i have ever met in my damn life that guy was always either writing songs making videos just doing everything that was on a creative level and it just blew me away it blew me away it wore me out sometimes because I was like, I, I, how do I keep up with this guy? You know what I mean? And, and uh, yeah, we 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 lost a lot yeah. when we lost time for sure. One of a kind. Yeah, man.
hopefully it happens. Um, we're, we're just seeing if this pandemic thins out and we could, uh, we're not going to put any of our fans in danger. We're not going to put ourselves in danger. But the plan for next year is a um, 30th anniversary Slave to the Grind tour. Um, like I said, a world tour is planned. We'll do the album in its entirety, and then we're going to do a bunch of stuff to coincide with it. Uh, we're, we're pretty psyched, and, and the shows are booked. We just, we'll keep our fingers crossed that everything is uh, going to come to pass. So it'll, it'll be cool to go out there and do uh, Slave to the Grind top to bottom. That'll be fun. Now, obviously, you're going to celebrate now, Slave, which is an amazing record. But, like, like for me, and, and I've known you guys since, you know, hell, before you were signed, uh, it doesn't, like, when I hear these numbers, like, 30 years since the first record and 30 years coming up on Slave, it just doesn't feel like it was that long ago. It feels like yesterday we were kids in Studio One, you know, hanging out. Like, I, does it does it oh, blow your man. mind that this time has gone by? It really does. And it, 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 <laughs> someone said, like, I'll, I'll find out about anniversaries of Skid Row, certain anniversaries online. Because I, it was, it just went by like in a blink of an eye, and people will say, "Oh, Skid, first Skid Row came, album came out on this day. On this day, the single was released." I'm like, "Wow, this is crazy that it's been 30 years, and you know, 25 years for this and that and the other thing." And it's like, it, it blows my mind how quickly time has passed, and that, and leading up, just backtracking a little bit to the the situation we're in now with the pandemic, it's like. We were on the road for so much of that, a better part of 30 years. And it's like, now is the time to, and not just us, like a lot of bands uh, tour constantly. So now's the perfect time to sit back, take stock in your life, reflect on your life, and, and just really enjoy this downtime and make the best of it, make the best of a, a not great situation. And it's the perfect time to be creative. In whatever avenue you go, whether you're a paint, you're gonna paint, or, or you're gonna sculpt, or you're gonna write songs, or whatever you're gonna make. So, just you know, this is a time to be creative. I have a feeling when you know the smoke clears, there's gonna be like such a like a mountain of art that's gonna come and hit everybody, and there's gonna be some really cool things, whether it's music or. or or what, or movies, whatever it is, because people are creating and creating and creating. And I love it, man. I absolutely love the idea of what uh, good times are going to be again. So those of you who are fans of rock and roll, fans of Skid Row, probably know that Sebastian Bach was fired from Skid Row in 1996 following disagreements over musical material and infuriating Rachel Boland. The rift between Sebastian and the other members of the band subsequently led to him leaving Skid Row. And like many other bands who have split over the years with original members, talks of reunion with those original members have been circulating for years and years. Skid Row fans and rock and roll fans in general for years have been hopeful that Sebastian would reunite with the Skid Row band and get back together and do a full-fledged world tour, much like... Axel, Slash and Duff reunited to get Guns N' Roses back together and uh, tour the world. Sadly, to this day, as I record this, it hasn't happened. Even with the 30th anniversary of Slave to the Grind, Skid Row are currently in the studio with another new singer recording a new album. So 
sadly, it doesn't look like it's going to happen at this time. February of 2019, Snake Sabo told Eddie Trunk, I'm so proud of what we were able to achieve throughout the entire history of this band, and that will never change. But some things just don't work anymore, and people go their separate ways, and you can't get that back together, and I'm fine with that. He continued, I play music to be happy. I don't play music for a paycheck. It's great to get paid to do what you love, but I've never done it for the money. It's always been about my love of music and that's what it still is. At my crusty old age, it's still because I love to play the guitar and I love creating. I love the response. I love being able to connect in some way with an audience. That's why I started playing music. Because I don't know how to communicate, so it came out through music, through songs. A reunion would have been great for a lot of other people who wanted to see that happen. But for us, it would not have been pleasurable, to be quite honest. 2016 really has been like the year of the reunion, uh, Guns N' Roses, uh, now the Misfits are back, there's a lot of rumblings about maybe Rage Against the Machine or is going to be doing something. Mm-hmm. Uh, does this put uh, sort of an itch in your mind that maybe finally this will be the Skid Row reunion that fans have wanted for such a long time? Well, I, I don't have any um, reason why not to, to do that. Like, yeah. So... I mean, I have a manager named Rick Sales, and he guides my career. And something like that is way beyond me. Like I don't, there's, I don't, I don't know how to answer that. Um, but I, I, you know, if they want to get together and jam, it's you know, something that you absolutely would would like to do. I, yeah. Yeah. I'm just so fucking busy that I, I, I don't, sure. you know, like I know the fans think about that all the time. I'm doing 12 cities in 13 days right now. It's hard to describe to people like what that is, like how, how much work goes into it. So my brain, my brain is focused on what I'm doing, Yeah. but uh, I'm releasing a book. Like there's a lot that I have to do, but... I have no animosity towards anybody in, in Skid Row, and the fact that we're all five of us still alive in this world is a pretty amazing feat. Sure. So I would someday definitely like to hear the five guys who made those records play live together again. Yes, I would. Absolutely. Because I'm a fan, too. Of course. I'm a huge Skid Row fan. <laughs> you have good taste. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, I know earlier this year you were talking about you wanting to, to bury the hatchet with them and to potentially do something. I know they ended up uh, getting another vocalist. But, uh, was there any contact with them at all, or, or was it just you kind of putting it out there online for, for fans and for anyone to see? Um... Rick Sales is my manager, 
he handles everything to do with the Skid Row reunion. Okay. And if there is a reunion, it's a very complicated business thing. Yeah, well, sure. And I really, I just don't even know what to say. Like, I, I, I don't, I don't know what to say. I, I text Rob, the drummer. Okay. He's here tonight, I think. Oh, good. So you might see two fifths of Skid Row here tonight. At least there's that bridge. Yeah. There. I mean, you know, if if Guns N' Roses and the Misfits can patch it together, I, I don't see why Skid Row. Thanks everyone for tuning into this episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something about Skid Row and about Slave to the Grind. And I hope this episode makes you want to go and crank up that album right now and listen to it front to back. And then maybe you might go back to their debut album and then you might fast forward to 1995 and check out Subhuman Race which was a really different sort of sounding album for Skid Row. As I said, this album is definitely one of my favourite albums of all time. Rock, metal, whatever you want to call it, it's a top album front to back, so definitely my top ten favourite albums. This album's got everything a music lover would ever want, you know, a metalhead, a rock lover. It's got great riffs, great sounding guitars, guitar solos, Big screams, great singing, great songwriting, great production. It's all there. Go and check it out. You know, if you go back and listen to this album for the first time, let me know what you think. Let me know what you think of this episode. And if you haven't listened to this album in a while, and maybe this episode may make you want to go back and listen to it again, let me know. I'd love to hear from you. Please follow Fox on the Wire on Facebook and Instagram and go check out the Fox on the Wire YouTube channel catch y'all again for another episode of Fox on the Wire very soon. Thank you very much. thought on the album Slater the Grind is still to this day, when I hear the song Monkey Business, it crushes my skull. I have to hold my head in my hands and go how will you ever beat that one right there? That is a monster jam. I defy you to put that on and not bang your head. (laughs) 